So good morning, gentlemen, on this beautiful, wonderful day. I'm going to start from the end of the Plague of Darkness. So after the Plague of Darkness, which we discussed yesterday, Paro calls to Moshe and he says, okay, it's enough. Go and serve Hashem, your God. You can even take your children with you. Just leave behind the flocks and the cattle that you wanted to take, the sheep, leave here. That will be my guarantee that you'll come back to, uh, you'll come back to Egypt so you can take the women. Last time you said just the men. Now you can take the women, you can take the children, just leave the animals behind. So Moshe says to Pharaoh, not only are we not going to leave behind that one single animal of ours, but you are going to give us sheep and cattle to take with us in order for us to offer to our God. So the opposite, we're going to be taking your cattle as well. And when Pharaoh hears that Hashem hardens the heart of Pharaoh and he refuses to let them out, and in fact, Pharaoh gets very, very angry. And Pharaoh says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Lech me'aloi, go away from me, get out of my presence, don't ever show your face to me ever again. Because if you will show your face to me again, on that day you will surely die. Now, Pharaoh thought that if he tells Moshe, you can't come and warn him, but the next, remember, this grouping is the plagues. And each group of plagues begins with, Pharaoh, with Moshe coming to Pharaoh at the Nile and warning him in advance, giving him a whole speech. So he thought if Moshe can't see me again, then no more plagues can happen because there'll be no more warning. So Moshe says to Pharaoh, you are correct. Cain Dibarta, you are saying correctly. I will never come to see you ever again. And in fact, the last time, the next time, the only time again that Pharaoh and Moshe will meet is when Pharaoh in pajamas in the middle of the night, that's saying to yesterday, when Pharaoh, it's an important song, you got to know the song, when Pharaoh is in pajamas at midnight after the plague of the firstborn, and he's running through the streets of, of Goshen himself, all the servants are dying, screaming, Moshe, take the Jews out of Egypt, right in the middle of the night, he's running around in his pajamas to get the Jews out of Egypt. But Moshe will never come again to Pharaoh. And right then, at that moment, before Moshe leaves from the uh, presence of Pharaoh, where Pharaoh said, you never see my face again, God appears to Moshe and gives Moshe a prophecy about the death of the firstborn, the last of the ten plagues. Now, no other time did God appear to Moshe, or did Moshe even pray to God while in the presence of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was an idol, and was full of, the palace was full of idols. But here, God appears to Moshe right there while standing in front of Pharaoh. And God says to Moshe, and he should tell to Pharaoh, there's one more plague that I'm going to bring upon Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And at that time, I will kill every single firstborn exactly at midnight on the night of the 15th of Nisan. And after that, Pharaoh will send you forth. He will like drive you forth. He will like certainly, when you have the same word twice, he will certainly push you out and uh, exile you from this. He'll drive you out from this land. But before that plague will happen, God starts to tell Moshe about collecting all of the valuables and the gold and the silver that's in all the Egyptians' homes, all the while he's standing in the presence of Pharaoh and has not yet told Pharaoh about the plague of the firstborn. So God says to Moshe, please, please speak into the ears of the people, and that each one should ask and borrow from his friend and from each woman from her friend, Golden vessels, silver vessels, clothing, everything they have, in order that I, Rashi says, why Daber not? Please speak to the people. Because God says, I made a promise to Avraham. If you remember the covenant of the parts, God had promised Avraham that your children will be slaves in a foreign land. But afterwards, they will leave with tremendous wealth. So Avraham shouldn't be upset at me. 
and said, you did the first part of your, of your promise that the Jews will be slaves, that you did. But the second part of your promise that they will leave with great wealth, you didn't do it. So please speak to the people to make sure that they help me fulfill my promise to Avraham that I had promised him, which seemingly is very interesting because why should he care so much? You know, imagine if I tell you that your children are slaves, they can leave tomorrow after they collect on a wealth, they can leave today. She just let them out, right? Get out of prison today. You don't wait till tomorrow. But as we've explained many times, it's now not the right time for it. The whole purpose of the exile of the Jews being in Egypt was to elevate the sparks of holiness that had been inside Egypt. When Yosef had collected all the wealth of the entire world and gathered it into Egypt when he was selling the food, all the spiritual sparks of holiness that are embedded within the physical money, physical stuff, vessels, clothing, etc. that exists in the world was gathered in Egypt. When the Jewish people leave Egypt, they take, they elevate the majority, 202 out of the 288 sparks of holiness that have been embedded in the physicality of the world is elevated with them. And therefore the whole purpose of exile required the Jewish people to take this wealth with them in order to elevate it and to fulfill the purpose of the Jewish people being in slavery in Egypt. So, Moshe, this is what Moshe says to Pharaoh. Ko Amar Hashem, this is what Hashem has said. At around midnight, I'm going to take the people out of Egypt. Now, God did not say around midnight. God said at midnight. Now, the problem is, how do you know exactly when it's midnight? Unlike the other plagues where Moshe did during the day, and there was a sundial or a mark on the wall, and you can say exactly when the sun gets to this point, it's unequivocal. Here's the mark on the wall. Here's where the sun hits it or not. But at midnight, you can't rely on the sun. So you have to rely on people who are using whatever calculations to tell time. So since they could mess up, he didn't want to give any kind of justification for the Egyptians to deny the absolute power and you know, strength of God. So he said, around midnight, every single firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, Pharaoh had firstborn children. Now it really includes Pharaoh himself, but he's being kind and saying the firstborn of Pharaoh. Pharaoh himself was the firstborn who's sitting on the throne, reference to Pharaoh himself, until the firstborn of the maids that's behind the uh, mill, to the firstborn of the animals, every single firstborn will die. Why did the maids deserve that the sons should die if they were not part of the slavery of Egypt? The commentaries tell us, since the maids had pleasure watching the Jewish people be oppressed and suffer, they took pleasure in seeing the suffering of the Jews, and therefore they also suffer with the plague of the firstborn, at that time, there'll be a great outcry throughout all of Egypt, such as never had been and never will be ever again. At that time, the Jewish people will leave the land of Egypt and no dog will bark at the Jewish people. The Egyptians had a tremendous uh, system, a prison system around the borders of Egypt to protect the borders. They didn't have a big wall. What do they have? They had dogs that would bark and attack and try to walk out. And God did a miracle that no dog would bark at the Jewish people when they left the land of Egypt. As there was, by the way, talking about how God always rewards everyone for doing the right thing, even creatures, even the Nile. We're talking about like Moshe not hitting the Nile because the dogs didn't bark at the Jewish people when they left Egypt. They reward that later on the Torah tells when you have an animal that's not kosher to give it to the dogs. You can do anything. You can sell it to a non-Jew. You can have pleasure from it. But it says give it to the dogs. It's a reward for the dogs not barking at the Jews when we left Egypt. Okay, then God says to, um, Moshe says to Pharaoh, your servants will come to me and bow down to me saying, 
take your entire nation and everyone shall leave Egypt. Now, again, it wasn't the servants of Pharaoh. Pharaoh himself coming to Moshe and bowing down before Moshe, but Moshe speaking in a nice way, not to, uh, you know, he's saying it in a nice way. And he then leaves uh, the presence of, of, of uh, he leaves the presence of, Mo- of Pharaoh in tremendous anger. Okay? Now we come to the first mitzvah of the Torah. Hashem now comes to Moshe and to Aaron, and he says to them, this day is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So the plague of the first war of the, of, the, uh, of the darkness ended on the 15th of the month before. Now, two weeks later, Hashem says to Moshe, don't worry, that part of the list is all part of my plan. I will make sure that you guys leave in tremendous power. And now on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the month of Nisan, God appears to Moshe and to Aaron, and he says to them the following words. Ha-chodesh hazeh lachem, rosh chadashem. This month, ha-chodesh hazeh, that means literally this, this moon, and the commentaries tell us that God actually showed Moshe the image of the new moon, because we know that in the Jewish calendar, uh, let me finish the verse first. This should be for you the beginning of the month, the, the beginning of the month, the, the first month, first month of the months of the year is Nisan. This is the first mitzvah that the Jewish people are actually commanded as a nation. Meaning in the Torah, you have other mitzvahs. God tells Adam, whatever, the seven commandments of Noah. But here's the first one that the Jews as a nation are being given a mitzvah. What is the mitzvah? The mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, the mitzvah of having a Jewish calendar, the mitzvah of keeping track of the months, not according to the secular calendar of the sun, but according to the lunar calendar based on the Kiddush HaChidush on the sanctification of the new month by which the Jews would know how to keep track of the dates, etc. And this is one of the mitzvahs that many times in exile, the nations tried to take away from us because this is part of our Jewish identity. We could really talk for many hours about the concept of Rosh Chodesh and why it's such an important part of the first mitzvah God gave us, but without getting carried away, just very in short, what's the mitzvah? To have Kiddush HaChadish, where God, where witnesses will come to the court. So we saw the new moon, and then the court would sanctify the month and say, This is Rosh Chodesh. The laws of Kiddush HaChadish are complex. You need to know the astrological, uh, you know, the, 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 the cycles and how the things move and where the moon will be situated in the stars, in, in the skies. Um, and it was confusing even for Moshe to understand. So God shows him the new moon, because this is for the beginning of the year. Now, what we see over here is one is the beginning of the year. What is the first month of the month of the year? You just said Tishrei, but what's the Torah saying? Nisan. This is Amr Chodesh Nisan. Yes. But so which is the beginning of the year? When do we celebrate the beginning of the year? You were correct in saying Tishrei because when's Rosh Hashanah? We just had New Year's a few days ago, right? But that's not our New Year's. Our New Year's is... Rosh Hashanah, that's when the Jews celebrate the new year. So we don't celebrate it on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, we celebrate it on Rosh Hashanah, which is Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the month of Tishrei. So when's the beginning of the year? Is it Tishrei or is it Nisan? In the, in the Torah, every single time the Torah counts months, for the rest of the five books of Moses, every time we're going to have a date in the Torah, it's always going to be based on Nisan, always. So again, it's another class on its own, but basically there's a debate in the Talmud, what's the beginning of the year? And the Talmud explains that they're both true in different ways. Rosh Chodesh, Tish, Rosh Chodesh Nisan. This is when God created the world in thought. And Rosh Chodesh Tishrei on Rosh Hashanah is when God created the world in 
action. But I'll give you one thought, and then we'll move forward, is that when God created the world, Rosh Hashanah, what was the creation of that time? A creation of nature. God created the world on Rosh Hashanah, in the beginning of Tishrei, in a natural way, in a natural order. He created the sun and the moon and the stars and the constellations and all the forces of nature. It was created on Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Chodesh of Tishrei. The idea of God transcending nature, of revealing godliness into the natural order of the universe, when does that begin? On Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Here, the month of Nisan, which is the month of redemption, the month of being taken out of our slavery, taken out of, naturally the Jews were enslaved in Egypt. The month of miracles, the month of redemption is Nisan. So Rosh Hashanah, Tishrei, is the beginning of the year in its natural order. And the month of Nisan is the beginning of the year, the Jewish year. The Jewish year meaning the idea of God being able to inject his great holiness that transcends nature into the universe on, on the month of, of Nisan. Okay, that's a beautiful idea. I condensed into two minutes. Hopefully uh, you got it. Okay. So this is the new month for you. Speak to the Jewish people saying that on the 10th day of this month, so now it's Rosh Chodesh, in 10 days from now, each man should take for himself a, a sheep. That'll be for him, to the, for his family, and for the extended family, for the household. Meaning, there had to be enough meat for every single member of the household to eat a kezayis, to eat uh, olives amount, those are the olives much bigger, of meat, uh, about an ounce. And therefore, they would make many, and you cannot let it waste any, we'll get into the lawsuit, you're not let it waste any of the meat. If you leave over leftover meat of the, of the carbon Pesach, the Pesach offering, it's called nicer, which means it's leftover, it has to be burnt, it's wasted. So you had to have about the right amount of people that would eat all the meat of the sheep. So I've never slaughtered a whole sheep, I don't know the number, but let's say a whole sheep is, let's say, 100 ounces of meat or whatever, I don't know, you want to give them an ounce of meat, they need 100 people to be part of this carbon Pesach, whatever the numbers are. There has to be enough people, if you have big people that like to eat a lot of food, so, you know, make sure you do it appropriately. There's enough food for everyone in the group without any food being left over. It's very hard for Jewish people to do that, to make enough food without too much give leftovers, right? That would be exactly the right amount. And that's why he says in the next verse, if there's not enough people in one household to eat all the meat of the animal, that none should be left over, so you need to join together. A few neighbors to go the whole block, we'll have a block party. A sheep is a big animal. Most families can't eat a whole sheep. So you have a few families together, and you eat however many people it takes to have uh, to, to cover the amount of the sheep. There should be nothing left over. You should use a flawless young male animal in its first year, a sheep or a goat. Why a goat? The, this, the, the mazel of the month of Nisan is that of a goat. So by slaughtering a goat, we're, sure that we're not dependent on the mazel, the constellation of the month of Nisan, which is the Aries, the, the, the ram or the goat, but that we're trusting in God's and you should take this goat or the sheep, <clears throat> and that year they use a sheep, and to wait until the 14th day of the month to make sure that there's no blemishes on the, on the animal. Which means they took it on the 10th, and then they kept it for three whole days till the 14th. 11th, the 12th, the 13th, three, four, three whole days. And on the fourth day, then they slaughtered it. This is just like Avraham Avinu. When God told Avraham to go and slaughter his son, on the uh, on the mountain, what happened? Avram took his son. He walked for three days till he came to the place that God showed him. So to hear the Jews had to have three days of the sheep in their house. 
during which time, ostensibly, they were checking to make sure there's no blemishes and no uh, defects on the sheep. But what was the real reason? Why did it need three days? The sheep is the idol of the Egyptian people. They worship the sheep. And for the Jewish people to be worthy of redemption, they would have to divest themselves of the idol worship of the, of, of the Egyptians. How would they remove this idol worship of the Egyptians from upon them? By slaughtering the sheep, which is the idol of the, the, the Egyptians, and slaughtering the sheep as an offering to their God. So such a dangerous act and such a tremendous act of revolution, if you tell the God, do it right now, and you do it right now, like you don't have a chance to think. The Jews have to have three days to think about it, to mentally prepare themselves and to tell them, I am going to destroy the God of the Egyptians. Not only that, the Egyptians would see them. And the Egyptians were walking by the Jewish neighbor's houses and say, uh, why do you have a sheep tied up to your bedpost? Oh, because in two days from now, three days from now, I'm having a big barbecue. I'm going to slaughter your sheep, which is against the law. Now I'm going to have a big barbecue and a big seder and a big party in order to worship to Hashem, my God. Can you imagine the reaction of the Egyptians? For the Jews to say that, they had to have tremendous courage. This act of courage where they would tell their Egyptian neighbors that I am preparing this sheep, your God, to be an offering to my God, that was the act that made them worthy of redemption. And therefore, they had to have three days where they had it in front of their houses or tied to their bedposts. And then on the 14th day of the month, they would slaughter. All the Jews would come together to slaughter the sheep. A lot of Jews would be three shifts, but we're not going to get that right now. Three different groups to slaughter the sheep. And then they would take from the blood of this, the, of, the, of the carbon Pesach, the Paschal offering, and they will put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel. So you have two sides and on the top of the doorpost, on the inside, by the way. It wasn't on the outside. It was on the inside of the house. And then inside that house, they would eat this meat of the carbon Pesach, roasted together with matzah and marar, the original carbon Pesach, the original Pesach Seder. So here we have the Jewish people. Some people don't realize the original Pesach Seder happened before the Exodus, that night, on the night of the 15th, before the plague of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn happened at midnight. The slaughtering of the animal happened on the day of the 14th, after dark, on the night of the 15th, after dark, but before midnight. They already had the blood on the doorpost. They sat down to eat matzah, marar, and the carbon Pesach, the Pesach offering. They had to eat it. There's many laws how to eat it. It had to be eaten. couldn't be raw. It couldn't be cooked. It had to be specifically roasted, the entire body, all at once. And they ate all of it, and they ate it in a way of haste. I mean, they ate it with their shoes on their feet, with their staff in their hand, with their belt on, ready to go, to go quickly out of the land of Egypt, because this will be the Pesach, the passing over of Hashem, which will continue tomorrow about the actual miracles that happened that night when they uh, ate the carbon Pesach and had their first Pesach Seder of history.